Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. The submarines are highly technical and there's all sorts of, you know, technical support out there for you. But there's still no barometer that will tell you how I'm going in command today. You know, you've gotta you've gotta decide and judge that for yourself. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is another beautiful day here in North Carolina. And this episode is brought to you by our sponsors, the Fraternity of Excellence, the Sasquatch Flag Company, and Jeremy Clevenger Fitness. These sponsors help me bring these shows to you each and every week, so I encourage you to click on their links below and check them out. I have another great show lined up for you today, but before we get started, I just want to remind you to check out the leadership books I've written on either Amazon or my website, johnsrenny.com. This year, I'm offering a new way to purchase all of my books for a discount. I've bundled the books into what I call the Qualified Leadership Series, and you get all three books for 15% off the individual prices. This offer is only available on my website, so check it out if you're looking to step up your leadership game this year. Also, I want to remind you that Deep Leadership is ranked as a top 100 management podcast in the U.S. and in the U.K., and I wanted to thank each and every one of you for listening in each week and sharing these episodes with your friends. You have helped this podcast grow into a top-performing show, so thank you very much. Well, that is it. Today, we have a very special guest. We're going to be talking about what it takes to lead a submarine crew at sea, and my guest is retired Commodore Peter Scott from the Royal Australian Navy. Peter served on 10 submarines and 20 different command and leadership appointments over 34 years in the service. He knows what it means to lead crews doing difficult, dangerous, and deadly work. If you've enjoyed my books and stories, you're going to love this conversation with someone who has spent a lifetime under the ocean leading sailors. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by retired Commodore Peter Scott from the Royal Australian Navy. Peter served on 10 submarines in 20 different command and leadership appointments over 34 years in the service. 
He is a veteran of multiple special operations with the submarine arm. He also saw service in Iraq, the Persian Gulf, and Afghanistan during 2006 and 2007. He is the author of a brand new book called Running Deep, An Australian Submarine Life. And I am honored to have him on the show to learn from his leadership experiences in the Royal Australian Navy Submarine Service. So, Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. It's a real pleasure to be here with you today. Uh, it's an honor to meet you, sir, and, and thank you for your long service uh, and uh, really remarkable career that you had um, uh, with, the, with the submarine force. And I'm interested in learning some leadership lessons from, from those long years that you served. But I wanted to start off and just ask you, why the submarine service? Why did you choose submarine duty? What was your why that you went towards that very unusual um, combat platform, I should say. Yeah, yeah, great. So uh, I joined the Navy for certain reasons. I'd probably been in the Navy for half a dozen years before I made that call to to volunteer for submarines, and it is a volunteer service. Uh, and by that time, I'd seen a bit of the Navy. I'd, I'd served in a destroyer in a patrol boat or two, uh, in the flagship and in our training ship. Uh, importantly, I'd also met my wife-to-be, mm. and it started to dawn on me that the Navy was not only going to demand quite a bit of me, it was also going to demand quite a bit of, you know, those around me, the people that I cared for. Um, and that got me thinking about, you know, if I'm going to be making sacrifice, <laughs> um, you know, for me and mine, uh, then I want to make that as worthwhile as possible. And, uh, you know, I joined the Navy in the early 80s. Um, so this is sort of mid-80s. And I joined the Navy just after the Falklands War. So I had images of... Uh, the USS, pardon me, not the USS, the um, the HMS yeah. uh, Conqueror uh, sinking the Argentinian flagship, the Belgrano. And there was just nothing like that for a vision of, uh, you know, decisive naval power. And I thought, okay, um, if I'm going to, offer the most meaningful and effective service I can. We've got submarines. They are absolutely the most potent element of our Navy. That's where I'll go. Mm. So that was that was the driver. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, similar to me as well. That's I, I was very much fascinated with underwater warfare and, you know, hearing the stories of World War II commanders and the things that they did. And I was just fascinated as a, as a young you know, boy, reading those stories and hearing those stories, and and just yeah. knowing how lethal they were as a as a force, and the, it was like, you know, sign me up. Where do I go? <laughs> Where do yeah. I go to, to yeah. join? You know, and and certainly, you know, close to our home, you know, that U.S. Uh, Pacific submarine fleet that was so effective through the Second World War. Um, and a lot of those U.S. boats were operating out of Australia during yeah. those war years, both east and, and west coast, and heading up into Southeast Asia and, um, you know, doing doing great work. So I was aware of that sort of that sort of history as well. Be yeah. Became more familiar with that 
uh, once I joined submarines and started to uh, really get stuck into understanding that. Mm, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I When I talk about my experiences in, on submarines, you know, I, I always have to explain how it, it's it's such a different asset. It's such a different military unit than than other military units. Explain, um, you know, just in your own words, why what makes the submarine service so unique when it when as compared to other military units? Yeah, right. Um, so unique's. Uh, I don't know if unique is quite the right word because, as I think on the challenges that we face on board a submarine. Many of the challenges are the same as those that you might face on a on a surface destroyer. You know, it's things like just the demands of being at sea and contesting with the sea, um, isolation. You know, time away from home, um, the need to operate independently. Uh, you know, the challenge of operating these highly technical platforms and getting the most out of out of them. So you face those challenges pretty much anywhere at sea in the Navy. I think the difference is a matter of degree with submarines. So, you know, if a warship is complex, a submarine is more complex. Mm-hmm. If the challenges of being at sea, are, you know, can be difficult, well, put your craft under the water and they become more difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh uh, nuclear submarines and we're heading that way will spend more time and be more isolated perhaps than diesel boats, but we would spend weeks and months away from home. So often the the isolation from home and even the isolation from the support of other units because we operate so independently can be quite extreme. So I'd I'd say it's it's that matter of degree. The challenges tend to be similar. Um, but there's just that extra little edge on everything when you're at sea in a submarine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess uh, there, there is a really fundamental difference, though, in the way that a submarine goes about its business compared to the average warship. And, you know, the average warship is, you know, their posture tends to be quite overt. You know, they puff up. Mm-hmm. Uh, here I am. I'm a warship. Look at me and look out. Uh, and a submarine goes about its business in a very different way because, you know, stealth is the is the um, you know fundamental tenet that that uh, allows us to go away and do the things that we do, and preservation of stealth shapes how we operate. So, you know, we won't be there transmitting on radars and transmitting on sonars. We'll always have this, or very, very typically have this very passive operating posture where we're trying to see what's going on without being seen and hear what's going on without being heard and so on. So that does change the nature of the operations and that changes the nature of the command environment on board and the way we the way we work. Yeah, that, that's quite a significant difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I know at least with our boats, I was on a missile boat and we operated independently. So we would go out Without any other assets, we were we were alone. Yep. You know, we had a yep. patrol box, and that's where we went, alone and unafraid, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so and we used to call it "hide with pride." That was our job. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> so, yep. Yeah. But um, so now we have you have a new book out, and I want to talk about that. The book is called "Running Deep: uh, An Australian Submarine Life." What inspired you to tell your story, and who's the book written for? 
Right. So uh, it's a it's a curious thing. Um, it, it is not within my um, nature or character to be out and telling stories about myself, certainly. But, um, you know, over time, I realised that life in a submarine is a very natural and normal thing for me and for all my, my shipmates. But for most Australians, it's quite an exotic and a largely unknowable way of life. So submarines, uh, it's hard to imagine what it's like, and it's really easy to misunderstand mm. what it's like and what it's about. So I wanted to write something that would offer people insight into you know, a genuinely rare existence and help them see what it's like to live that life, uh, what it takes, uh, and in particular, what it takes to do it well. Um, because as you would know, John, you do not want to do it badly. <laughs> um, and also what it means, what it means to the people who, you know, go to sea and serve in submarines, why they do it, um, what they take away from it. So it's written for anyone who might be interested in understanding <coughs> more about that. Uh, I think it's the sort of book that would appeal to people who are, you know, drawn to challenge and adventure. Uh I I like to think that it might inspire some further generations of Australian submariners, uh, but I also, uh, and you've had a, a quick look at it, there's stuff in there that will just scare most people away. Perfectly, <laughs> yes. Most people will read that and say, good on you, Scotty, all yours, you know, don't, don't send me anywhere near a submarine ever. Um, but, you know, for me, the book does talk to, you know, some of the challenges and, and some of the, the difficult days, but it also talks to the enduring satisfaction that people get from living and working with submarines and, and submariners. So that's what it's yeah. about. That's great. I mean, just being able to give that, that's the one thing out the feedback I get from my books is like, you know, my second book especially is full of sea stories and uh, the, the, uh, the feedback I get is, oh, I just had no idea that it was like that, you know, no idea those that, you know, you did those kind of things. And it was just kind of a, and it was just like you said, giving them exposure to what this kind of quiet life and that not many people do. And uh, just get that ah. sort of inside view of, of what life is like on a submarine and, and the, and the lessons you learn along the way, you know, dealing with people, yep. you know, you're, you're, you're locked in a metal tube with you know, the size of your crew, we had 155 on, on, a, on an Ohio class, but you're locked in a metal tube. And for us, it was three months at a time and you, you had to figure things out. <laughs> yeah. It's not, a, it's not a regular existence by, by any uh, means. And I think also, uh, John, you know, I felt a sense of responsibility. You know, it is um, like, I feel privileged to have, have led that life. Uh, the capabilities are so important and increasingly important, I think, certainly in Australia for our national security and, and defence. Um, you know, the Australian taxpayer uh, puts a lot of coins into our submarine capability and, and our defence. Um, so when you do understand what it's about, you I think you have a responsibility to help people see that, um, knowing in particular that, you know, we, 
we set sail, you're out of Sydney Harbour or, or whichever port, and you're gone, you're, you're out of sight, you're out of mind. Um, so there's also that responsibility um, to help people understand what the what the capability is about and and what they are what the capability does for the nation. That makes a lot of sense, really does. Now you describe submarine command as, and I love this, is leadership with ultimate authority and accountability. Explain what that's like. I mean, because. I, I served on submarines, but I never was the commanding officer. I never was that, you know, had that singular role as, as you know, I had two commanding officers and I learned so much from them, but that is a special <laughs> job commanding a submarine. So explain a little bit about that, of what you mean by yeah. ultimate authority and accountability. Yeah, sure. So look, um, John, everybody has a boss, you know, we've all got a, we've all got a commander out there, um, but you know, we've just spoken a little bit about the independence of submarine operations. So when a submarine is out there at sea, uh, you know, to all intents and purposes, um, the captain is the Navy. You know, for those officers and sailors on board, um, effectively, there is no higher authority than than the captain. Now, that's not technically true, but it, it's kind of, um, it's it's a it's a reality that people people live with. Um, so I use those that sort of phrase, ultimate responsibility and authority, really for a couple of reasons. One is to um, form a mindset within the captain, um, which is you're the boss. Don't leave any of your power, authority, um, experience on the ground, you know, explore and utilize it fully. Um, when you're the captain, you, you have the right to do anything. So use your judgment and, and make the calls and set the direction. Um, now there's another side to that, of course, and and that's the responsibility side, and and you know it also means you have to absolutely um, honour your responsibilities, um, and you know every decision that you make, every command that you give, will have an impact somewhere down the line, for better or for worse. So you know you've got to you've got to honour that responsibility, and um, you will be held to account. You know the performance of your submarine, the welfare of your people, um, the you know the futures of your of your people. Um, you will be held to account for those decisions. So it's it's kind of two parts. You know, get out there and be the complete commanding officer that you can, but also honour your responsibilities and your accountabilities just as completely. Yeah. One of the things as you're talking, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, as as an officer on a submarine, I I had responsibilities, and and I always say it's a, it was a 24 seven business, right? So yeah, um, yeah. you were always on stage all the time. But I was a junior officer. I had fellow JOs. I could shut the door and have a conversation. What's it like as the commanding officer, where you don't have an equal on board? You have maybe an executive officer that you could shut the door and have conversations. But how do you? recharge, reset, refresh, uh, to be ready for the next day. If you've had a bad day, when, 
with when you're yeah. sort of sole responsibility uh, without a, without an equal on board. Yeah, it can be difficult, and um, it it can not only feel isolated; it can be quite isolating. Uh, I think you know you mentioned uh, people like you, Exo. Um, you know, we we have a chief of the boat as well, who's the senior enlisted, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know you have you have relationships with with everybody on board, and you can rightfully lean on some of those relationships for different things. You know you can you can rightfully have a conversation with your XO about um, you know command aspects. You can rightfully have a conversation with your chief of the boat about you know how the troops are going and and so on. And you need to have the right relationship with those people to be able to draw on them. Um, you also need to have the right relationship with yourself to be able to you know stand in your own judgment, um, stand on you know stand with your own convictions and and so on. Um, I think uh, you know one of the one of the great blessings of the way we bring our people up in our submarine arm is we're always training and preparing for the next responsibility. And, you know, we go through a very comprehensive uh, command qualifying course uh, to prepare us for command. One of the curious aspects about that course is that um, there is very little feedback. You're scrutinised very closely for months on end, both ashore and at sea. But you get very little direct feedback. Mm. And that's kind of because you've got to be making your own decisions about, you know, your judgment and how you're going and whether you're getting too tired or whether you um, you know, whether you're driving your people too hard. There's um I'll often say um the submarines are highly technical and there's all sorts of, you know, technical support out there for you, but there's still no barometer that will tell you how I'm going in command today. You know, you've got to, you've got to decide and judge that for yourself. Mm. So it's um, accept your responsibilities, accept your position on board, draw the support and the connection that you can and that you need to, but don't overburden your people with your command responsibilities and be willing to... Um, stand in your own judgment and, you know, sleep and rest easy at night, um, knowing that you're doing the best that you can and the best that you can is probably good enough. Mm. Mm. Wow. <laughs> it's, uh, like I said, it. I I found it to be difficult just, you know, those three months as always being on stage, but at least I had, you know, you know, peers. I do. And so I think about that often as like being without peers, but it makes a lot of sense what you say um, in terms of, you know, how, how to, how to find those resources to, to get that support, but also being very strong in your own, you know, self-value and self-worth and having thought through some of these things. So, and like you said, I think the one thing about the submarine force that I liked is the fact that you don't get the further more and more responsibility until you've done the lower tasks first. So you earn your way to those spots. So you you're given a lot of experiences along the way. So the point where you get to commanding officer, you've you've seen a lot of things. 
you know, versus, in, versus maybe in a civilian job, you might become CEO and you've never run a business before, which can happen. Right. So at right. least you, yeah. there's progressive responsibilities in the submarine force. Yeah. And I think one of the things you see is, um, certainly I did, was you see a lot of commanding officers and you work out pretty quickly what what it is that you appreciate from this guy and what you do not appreciate from this guy. Um, and and that can that can dramatically shape um, who you aspire to be as a as a commanding officer. Um, you know what you what you observe in in others. I think another part to it, John, is um, understanding that uh, yes, you're you're a pivotal cog in that wheel, um, but. You have an entire ship's company there mm. who, who are there to help you achieve the submarine's aims. So I used to remind myself, we have a crew of about 65 on board a, on board a Collins-class submarine. And doing the math, you know, I realized one day that it, at best, I hold 1% to 2% of the total cognitive and emotional and physical capacity of that ship's company. And, and my job, as I saw it, was to activate the other 98, 99% of capacity on board. So if that's all I had to do was help them get out and do their best, um, that that sort of puts a very different lens on who you are and who you need to be as uh, as the captain. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. This episode is brought to you by the Fraternity of Excellence. The Fraternity of Excellence is an online and real-world community for men who are looking to improve in all areas of their lives. The men of FOE are working together to become better husbands, fathers, and leaders at work and in their communities. They live by a simple philosophy, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, I've been a member for more than three years, and for me, I finally found a brotherhood of men that I was missing from my time in the military. Now, I love being around guys guys who are dedicated to becoming a better version of themselves. So if you're interested in becoming a man of excellence as well, go to fraternityofexcellence.com or you can reach out directly to me to learn more. This episode is brought to you by the Sasquatch Flag Company. The Sasquatch Flag Company is a family-owned business in New England that builds hand-carved American flags from seasoned white pine. Each flag is hand-built and each star on the flag is hand-hammered and chiseled. No two flags are alike. They offer a variety of flag designs to honor the police, military, firefighters, dispatchers, and search and rescue personnel, to name a few. These stunning handmade flags look great in an office, a studio, the back porch, or above the fireplace mantle. 
They make the perfect gift for the veteran, first responder, or patriot in your life. Now, I love these flags, and I've been giving them as gifts for years, and I was a customer long before they became a sponsor of the show. I can't recommend them enough. So if you're looking for that perfect, uniquely American-made gift to give away, or if you want to treat yourself, go to SasquatchFlags.com and get your order in today. This episode is brought to you by Jeremy Clevenger Fitness. As a high-performing leader, you know that leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about leading by example. And for most people, the one area that they're lacking when it comes to leading by example is their health and fitness. By improving your health and fitness, every other area of your life improves. But how do you get and stay fit as a busy leader? Well, you do what you've always done. You hire the best person for the job. Don't struggle on your own. Put Jeremy Clevenger on your team. Jeremy will work with you to take your physique, mindset, nutritional habits, and more to the next level with his step-by-step, all-inclusive coaching program. Now, I've worked with Jeremy for the past year, and I'm in the best shape of my life. If you want to step up your game, reach out to Jeremy at apexperformancesystems.com to find out more and get your initial consultation scheduled with him today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I often say this, and I've said this in my books, that a crew brings a ship to life. You say something similar. You say that submarines are crewed by people. And um, mm-hmm. you mentioned uh, the, the the size of the crew on board. Um, when you think of it that way, you know, because we talked about submarines being a highly technical piece of equipment, right? Yeah. But it's yeah. But it's crewed by people, and so when you think of it that way, which is I've got the technical side on it, I've got the people side on it. How does that? Yeah. Um, how does that? Why is that significant from a leadership perspective? Thinking about there's, there's this these this is a crew of people. Yeah. Yep. So particularly with a platform like a submarine, which is so highly technical and and so incredibly complex and, you know, operating in a very, um, very complex, uh, mysteriously complex environment, um, it's easy to get sort of overtaken by the platform. Mm. Um, But when you realise that... um, you know, it's only the people who bring that platform to life. You know, a submarine alongside uncrewed is nothing. It's a liability. It's a huge liability. It's only when you crew that with, you know, trained and cohesive um, people that, you know, you can take it to sea and and do something meaningful, meaningful with it. Uh, so... One of one of the things well, I was going to say, one of the things I would think with a small crew size is I, I often say this too is that on a submarine at sea, every sailor is critical to the mission, and I would imagine with a small yeah. crew size, it is essential. Every every sailor is essential to the mission. Yeah, absolutely, um, and and highly specialized crews. You know, I think you know just um, mathematically, there's a dozen discrete specializations on board one of our submarines, you know, sonar operators or electronic warfare operators or um, the medic or, you know, the diesel technicians. 
So all highly specialised in their own rights. Um, but I think the beauty of a submarine crew is that they all, pretty much first and foremost, know and understand the roles of the submarine and the roles of the other people that they're working with. So they're not trying to do their job in isolation. Their job only matters in connection with how other people on board are doing their job and, and in connection with the total mission of the of the submarine. Um, so that that is always a challenge for a commanding officer is making sure that you you are bringing all of that together into a, into a cohesive uh, team, you know, focused on a on a set set mission. So you're like the conductor. You have very talented uh, musicians, and you're basically a conductor conducting this orchestra, right? Making sure everyone's doing doing their jobs. Yeah, doing. Yeah, is a great analogy. It perhaps doesn't extend far enough because, um, you know, you're not just conducting um, in the moment. You're also you're deciding, um, you know. what production is going on stage as well? You know, you're, you're choosing the tunes and so on as, as well as as well as just. So I guess what I'm talking to there is, um, you, you know, in a in a naval unit, um, purpose is absolutely essential. You can't go out there and suffer the discomfort and disadvantage that you do in a submarine if the purpose. And the meaning behind what you're doing isn't clear for your people. And for us, you know, the purpose really gets set by the mission. It, it, mm. Purpose is an external thing. I think of it in, in that way. And, you know, the mission for the submarine gets set elsewhere and we we have to go and carry it out. So the role of the captain there, I think, is to understand that wider purpose, be really clear on the mission that has been set for you. but then. Exercise some vision, um, you know, look forward, look forward to um, both the positive and the negative outcomes that might arise as you're out there executing that mission. What's the worst thing that can happen? What's the best thing that can happen? Be open to all of that. But then as you're moving forward, be really clear on reality. You know, what is the actual situation today? On parachute, we used to say, fight what you see. Don't put the periscope up and wish that the ship was further away. You know, put the periscope up, fight what you see, and go from there. Um, But reality in a submarine is not always as stark and clear as that example. Sometimes it's really subtle and it's really difficult. Because we operate so passively, it can be really difficult to sense what the actual reality is of what's going on around you. But back to that conductor thing, you know, I think the captain needs to instill that purpose within his ship's company or her ship's company. Um, The captain needs to be able to set the vision and, you know, enliven their people towards the outcome they need to achieve and then um, really um, moderate how far you go, how fast you go, and what direction you go based on the reality of what you're seeing and help your people deal with the reality of what you're seeing, whether that's good, bad, or or indifferent. 
It's interesting because it's almost like, you know, I, start, I mentioned I started my company seven years ago. And, and I always yeah. say that you have to have one foot in the canoe of vision where I want to be and one foot in the canoe of this is the reality of my situation. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. Yeah. Ignore the reality of the situation because if you're not, if your cash is going to be short for the month, you've got to sort that out regardless of what right. your vision, but you have to, with your employees, you have to balance the idea of vision and reality all the time. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. you're playing both of those. And I, it seems like you're saying almost the same thing on the submarine. You have a vision, you know, and you have you have a purpose, right? That is why you're yeah. out there. You have a vision of yeah. what you expect to achieve. But you're also say, you know, as you mentioned, focus on reality, fight what you see, you know, and right. focus on the reality of the situation. That's what so, so my very first experience of command uh, was not what I had anticipated or, or <laughs> hoped for. Um, I was pretty fresh off uh, the command qualifying course, um, and I was supposed to do a submarine uh, just as it was entering a three-month docking period. Now that docking was in uh, South Australia. The ships, the the submarine was home ported in Western Australia, and that's where the, all the families were. Now that was okay because it was a three-month docking. We can we can cover that, but this was very early in the life of the Collins boats. And various decisions and delays turned that three-month docking into an 18-month, effectively an extended 18-month deployment from home port. And, you know, to my mind, she was a commissioned submarine. Her purpose was to be at sea conducting operations. Um, My vision was that these sailors would be at sea, you know, no trials officers, no sea training unit, just operating independently and and doing the job and providing the service that they were trained to do. The reality was we were stuck thousands of miles from home, not at sea, contending with a dockyard. And, um, you know, we had, you know, that that had massive impacts on on morale and um, cohesion and so on. So it was not the challenge I expected, but it it was my challenge as commanding officer. It didn't diminish my responsibility for my people or my submarine just because I was in a a situation that I didn't enjoy or or didn't anticipate. Yeah. So that's your we reality. did. Uh, we got out of there. We got we got away. And uh, in fact, the following year, uh, we uh, we headed off to the US. In fact, we we sailed under Australia right across the Pacific, oh, no. um, and and we actually conducted. Uh, what was then the longest and is still the farthest deployment of any Australian submarine. Um, so there was a lot of reward at the back end, but a lot of, a lot of pain at the front end. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know about that. Just a quick question on that, just to follow up. When when you go through tough times with people like that, so you're stuck in extended shipyard period like that, and you're the commanding officer. Do you do you find that you you build a bond as a team as you go through those difficult times together? And uh, is, did it bring you closer, or was it uh, you know because you're you're all sort of away from families, you're in a terrible situation, nobody's really happy. You want to be out to yeah. sea. So did you did you bond as a team during that difficult period? Yes, it's not the sort of challenge that you'd ask for. Yeah, but uh, but it definitely. Um, I think at the end of the day, they had a lot of pride in the fact that they stuck it out. Yeah. They did what they could. They did what they needed to. 
Um, they weren't always in control of their situation, but you know their determination. If that was what the submarine arm demanded of them on that day, that's what they would do. Um, and and certainly, I have seen that you know crisis and and um, really difficult experience or challenge, um, whether it's there's a successful outcome or not, can absolutely bind people. Like it can bust a crew apart and it can bust people individually. Um, but it 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 can also serve as a catalyst to bring people together. So um two quick examples. One would one would be um in between that docking and that really long deployment, we had a, a workup to do. And on the final night of our operational and safety workup, I ran the submarine into the continental shelf at depth and at speed. Um, not my finest hour. <laughs> um, and, you know, that that uh, very difficult night, you know, we got the boat to the surface, obviously. We got the boat alongside. We did what we needed to do to, to prove that the submarine fundamentally was okay. Um, had a lot of paint taken off the bottom, <laughs> but uh, fundamentally it was okay and really demonstrated to me just how incredibly um, robust those submarines are. Um, but it was in going through the Board of Inquiry after that um, that the ship's company really kind of came together. Um, you know, people were being examined on, you know, what had happened and how it had happened. And um, I went into that. I realised ahead of the board that I needed to have a conversation with my officers in particular. Um, we were already a very tight crew and I knew that my officers, they were very loyal and I knew that there would be a inclination for them to want to protect me and there was certainly a sort of natural inclination on my part to want to protect them. But I said to them, um, look, the way to be loyal here is to honour the truth. We simply need to lay it out on the table so that the Board of Inquiry can make sense of it and so that we can learn from it and so that we can move on. And and if, you know, learning from it means that I'm not your captain tomorrow, that's okay. Mm. But that's what we need to do, honour the truth and move forward. Um, and it was it was a really challenging period, you know, right when we were, like we were, we were moving up and out um, and that really just stopped us in our tracks but we regrouped and, and set off and, and had a great deployment. Um, and there was a similar occasion, uh, again, working up a different submarine ahead of a major deployment when we suffered a flood at deep diving depth. And uh, that was a terrifying experience. Um, but similarly, you know, to cut a long story short, um, once we worked through that, both the immediate incident and the sort of aftermath, uh, the ship's company came away with a much, with a renewed sense of belief in their boat and their, themselves and their training and and all the people that support them from ashore. Um, and it was a it was a real binding, catalytic moment. Yeah. So it's interesting because you know, like as leaders, we don't want to suffer those tough times. We don't want to suffer those problems, but. Oftentimes, it 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 does something to bring the team together. 
I've noticed Wrong. as well. Yes. So, interesting. Yeah. Um, one, one thing I was going to ask you, because I saw that in your, um, you, you, in your write-up, one of the things you were writing about, and I thought it was interesting. You said, as a submarine commander, uh, your responsibility is to learn, train, teach, mentor, and educate. And that would seem surprising to people that think of the military as a command and control environment. But those are, those are truly leadership, you know, skills. I mean, learn. So develop, you know, continue to learn to be good at your job. Train your people, teach them, mentor them, educate so, you know, the role of a submarine captain is really unique because the other thing that people probably don't realize is that you're getting a new crew every so often. You're not, you know, not taking the same crew to see every, every time. Every time. No, no, no. Yeah, there's so always... Having a replacement of people. So this idea of teaching, mentoring, educating, training is a big part of submarine life. It's, it's constantly making sure your crew is capable. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say... Um, it's a it's an essential part of submarine life, um, regardless of your station on board. Um, it's critical for a commanding officer, but um, you know even you know as a watch leader, for example, you know you have a responsibility to learn your craft such that you can exercise command on behalf of the captain. Um, you have a responsibility to train your watch so that they know their drills and, and they will respond, you know, to the close quarters contact or to the, the fire in the right way. Um, certainly, uh, what else did we have there? Learned, um, trained, teach. So I do, I do take a distinction between training and teaching. So that, that flood, we would not have got through that flood if we hadn't honoured our responsibility to train ourselves, you know, in the in the weeks and months beforehand, um, the teaching bit is a little bit different. It's what is it that I know that I've experienced of submarines that I can share. Yeah. It's not yeah. so much, you know, this is the drill, practice the drill. It's here's my experience, here's my knowledge. How can I best share that with with people? Um, the educate bit. Um, I mean, it's, you know, we mentioned the book earlier. For me, that's the educate. It's helping people beyond the submarine arm understand what the submarine arm does. Right. And that might be, you know, your brother or sister on a destroyer alongside. Um, it might be uh, your mum. It might be uh, the politician when you get to a strategic headquarters. So, yeah, I think certainly for a commanding officer, all of those roles are essential but they play out at every level on board a submarine. I know in my experience, you know, working with my commanding officer, he, tr you know, there was training all the time. We drilled all the time for every casualty, fire, flooding. You mm -hmm. name it. We were always, always training. But he was a teacher. And that's what I loved about my, my first commanding officer was always taking time. And I was, I was an ensign. I was an O1, the lowest, you know, lowest yeah. officer on board. He was an O6. He was a full cap on. Yeah, yeah, And he would take the time to explain things to me. And like, for example, I was the geoplot operator during battle stations. So I was the guy that would sort of had the whole, you know, I'd keep a track of the whole battlefield, you know, basically. Yeah. And, uh, and I love that job. And, and I remember one time he just put his hand on the, on the geoplot and he said, and I said, sir, and he said, he said, if you think he's anywhere underneath my hand, I can hit him with a Mark 48 torpedo. And so it was just like a teaching, like, it's, it, uh -huh. and so 
it was almost a way like if I can get my hand around it, then do we know where he is? Don't worry, don't yeah, get it. Yeah, that'll do. All you need is that. But it was just like these little things he would teach me all the time, you know. And uh, like he would tell me to, you know, shift the rudder. I'd be on the surface, and he'd shift the rudder, and he'd say, "See, see the way the the, the boat reacts." And I was like, "Oh yeah." He said, "Do it again." And so we, we he would try. He would show me things, and and so that wasn't training. That that was teaching. That was yeah yeah. That was developing me to be a better officer of the deck, and I think that's. That's I see the distinction between training and, and teaching. Yep. Yep. No, I agree. I agree. Uh and and both absolutely necessary. Mm. Um you, you gotta put the time into the training. Um, but also uh so much of that world, your ability to perform is based on experience, what you've seen before, what you've sensed before, what you know is possible, what you know is impossible. Um, and none of us have the time to experience it all. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you can learn from others' experience, um, if you've got experience, you've got to offer it. And if you can learn from others' experience, you've got to soak it up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is this has been a fascinating conversation, and and really, the the book is so in depth that we we didn't even get close to talking about all the things that are in the book, but. Uh, what what final message would you like to leave with our listeners today? You know, from your experiences, uh, from a leadership perspective, anything else you want to share from the book? Yeah, I had to think about this. I I reckon it's lead today. So very often I'm asked, you know, how do I prepare for this leadership position, or how do I develop myself to be a leader? Um, and my but I hesitate to give advice classically, but my simple advice is lead today. Find something that you care about. Take the time to understand what needs to be done and then lean into that space mm. and lead. Be willing to mess it up. Be willing to make a few mistakes along the way, but find that thing that you care about um, you need you need some vision there. Yep. So understand what it is that needs to be done and help people achieve that which needs to be done. So don't don't wait to lead. Um, don't wait for the opportunity to lead. Just lead today. Mm, fantastic. Wise, wise words. So how can people find out uh, more about you and this new book? Yeah, thanks, John. So uh, I've got a website. Um, really simple. It's peterscott.au. So you can find um, some information there about myself, about my coaching business and the book. Uh, and the book uh, is available not yet in the US. So it's available uh, 4th of August, hard copy in in, uh, in the US. Uh, but it is available on ebook uh, or audio. So it can be purchased uh, online. Uh, Fremantle Press are my publishers, so that's that's a really easy way to find it. Is just Google Fremantle Press and hunt for Running Deep Peter Scott, and you'll you'll find it and be able to um, get a hold of that book, and uh, hopefully gain some insight into the life of an Australian submariner. <laughs> I love it. Well, uh, we're going to put links in the show notes for all those resources, uh, and the book is Running Deep on Australian Submarine Life and. Uh, you've had a long career. This is a fascinating book. I highly encourage you. If you have any interest in submariners and what what we do and in, in our life that we lived, uh, this is going to be a fantastic book. 
Um, listeners, if you read my books, you need to get this book. <laughs> this is going to be a lot more, <laughs> a lot more sea stories than my books, because you've had a lot more time under the sea for sure. Uh, but I encourage people to, to to look this book up. We'll put links in the show notes. Peter, I really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, sharing your experiences, sharing your journey and the leadership lessons you learned along the way. I appreciate it. Hello, John. Thanks for hosting the show and, and thanks for hosting me today. Thanks again. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid.